Hello and welcome to the SBP podcast, the voice of mobile phone. I'm Susie Botello, and you're listening to episode 69. Our guest is Stephen Palmer Peterson. Steve is a writer, and he made a feature-length film, which was screened at the International Mobile Film Festival last April. His film was shot with an Android phone, by the way. During this episode, Steve touches on that film and his experience at our film festival. Now, Steve also co-wrote a film, which was not a mobile film, but it's been quite successful, and it's available right now on Netflix. As a member of the mobile film community, I thought we'd ask Steve to talk about his film. It's called Assimilate, and share some tips on screenwriting. Now, we know that many of you begin your filmmaking process with a story, and you put that into a screenplay. But some of you are writers who would like to succeed as screenwriters more than filmmakers. Either way, no matter what you decide, we want to share some tips with you from someone who has professional experience in the industry. Let's get to it and talk with Steve in L.A. Everybody, welcome to the SBP podcast. I have um, a little surprise for you, bringing back our guest. Well, it, it's actually not going to be a surprise because you've just heard the intro. <laughs> uh, but uh, Steve Peterson, Steve Palmer Peterson, right, Steve? Yeah, I was my. Uh, there's a bunch. There's another famous Steve Peterson, so I go yeah. by Stephen Palmer Peterson when I write. Right, but. Speaking of write and writing, <laughs> um, Steve is a writer, and he was also, um, not only did he write, but he directed a feature film, which uh, we screened during our last film festival uh, this year in 2019, um, as we gear up and get ready for 2020 happening in April. But I thought we'd catch up with uh, Steve again because Steve has had a bit of success in the writing arena. Um, and we're going to talk about that uh, with Steve and a film that he co-wrote, which um, is right now playing on Netflix. Uh, but before that, I wanted to, uh, first of all, welcome you back to the SBP podcast. Um, you were here for episode 15. Uh, 47 last January. How's how's everything going, Steve? Oh, it's going well. Thank you, Susan. Um, Steve, when you were, you came to our film festival, I know LA is really far away from San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on the traffic. How <laughs> Actually, you know, that does depend a lot because you might as, you could, it could take you the same time from San Diego to Florida as it can from here to, to LA in traffic. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, or if you go at the right time at night, then it's only one hour and a half. So. I I know, huh? Right, right. Um, and uh, and by the uh, well, I was I was uh, laughing with someone the other day because I was telling them about how the five turns into the real five from San Diego to the you know the one going north because right. they both merge and they started laughing. They're like, "Well, what was it before the fake five? I'm like, "Well, it's just the other five, and then it really turns into the five, <laughs> and it's yeah. it's a merging thing. Um, Steve, when you came to our film festival, um, share with everyone, if you don't mind, um, what your experience was like. Well, I mean, it was really nice. It was, uh, it was, it, it, it was great. It's like, because, well, you hosted a really good, like little dinner there for all the people who were showing up. And, um, I think all the filmmakers were there. Yeah. So, well, I got to meet people from, uh, from around the world. I mean, there was uh, a guy from Italy, you know, um, got, you know, uh, really got to like uh, the uh, Roth or David and, um, and his, uh, 
and his producing partner. And I can't remember her name right now, but anyway, Kimberly, Kimberly, right. And so, uh, and we, you know, we're able to talk because they had made a feature film on a, on a, on a phone as well. And so, you know, we're really kind of like, all right, you know, comparing war stories and all that sort of thing. (laughs) So, and, and everybody was just very kind of supportive of each other and it was just really fun. One of the um, one of the best parts of this year's film festivals to me um, that I got to witness because not everybody comes every single year to witness this with me. Um, but from my perspective, it just seemed like everyone really connected uh, during the film festival um, event. Like they were very supportive of each other. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. And I mean, it's just like, uh, and, and, you know, you're, you're talking to I mean, a lot of obviously. Oh, um, a lot of people are making shorts because it's a little bit easier to make, especially on a phone. Yeah. Oh, but oh, uh, they're all very serious. Everybody's very serious about the craft. Everybody's, you know, we're all talking film. We're all talking, you know, tech, technical details and all that. You know, I think probably oh, uh, whoever it was that was down there trying to sell the uh, the gimbals, stabilize the, the gimbals for the phones, made some money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made a few sales because, uh, yeah, you look at that stuff and that works, that works really well. And, and it is fun. I think that was probably part of it. Cause I had gone to like one or two other film festivals and a lot of times you don't really, I mean, everybody's so busy running around doing this or that, or they're not, or, or people are the film showing, but you don't see the filmmakers there or the filmmakers are too busy talking to somebody else. So they don't really get that chance to communicate with each other. And uh, th- yeah, this felt like a lot more of a social experience. Yeah, and, and I kind of made it that way on purpose. I've been to film festivals myself where I, I, you don't, you don't really see, you can't even find your own team people if you happen to show up after the, you know, the session for the films that you're in that category. Come on, you know, you walk into right. a theater, it's all dark, and you don't see. You, you're just like, okay, I'll just sit here. And then when the lights come on or when our film is over, I'll, I'll hear the cheers. I'll know where they're at. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And the, the other thing, too, is, um, man, you I, I have to share with our listeners. We have a very unique. Did you ever have a, a red carpet experience like that before? No, no, that was pretty crazy. It was like a lot of fun. They were very energetic. And especially like, uh, I can't remember the name of them, the uh, the family that were all gymnasts. Yes. There and what they were doing. Making us all look, uh, looking at, making us all embarrassed. <laughs> well, you your entrance was right after um, they did their thing. Oh, that's right. That's right. They the were like, oh, I was completely upstage. <laughs> yes. And you came in, you know, Steve, I have to let our, our listeners know you, you're sort of this quiet, I mean, you're a writer by nature, right? And a lot of yeah. writers tend to be introverts, you know? And so, you know, you're, 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 you were kind of quiet. You're just this mellow guy, you know? And then we put you on the red carpet and oh my God, <laughs> you you're all you just you became the star there. I mean, I remember how people laughed because you tried to you know try to make yourself better than than that family. I don't think anybody could. Out no, 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 no. I, 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 I tried and failed. <laughs> I think trying and failing is a is underrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but you're definitely your your sense of humor is fantastic. You, I don't know if you do comedy on the site, but you're really good at it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've written one or two comedies because when you're writing these sorts of movies on assignment, I mean, this is yeah. one thing I think that's different between, say, being a screenwriter. I think if you're like at a high level screenwriter or something like that, or if you're writing in TV, they want you to specialize. But uh, if you're working at kind of like these more independent films and stuff like that, you write what somebody um, pays you to write by and large. Whereas if you're writing novels, I mean, you're very much stuck in a genre or even more so, you're stuck with a particular character. Look at how many novel writers are writing the same character for 50 books or something along those lines. But as, as a screenwriter, you do get the opportunity to write a bunch of different stuff and a bunch of different genres. And sometimes it's challenging to try to figure out how to work in a new genre. But that's also a way of learning how to uh, develop new skills, I think. Well, one of the things that I do want to talk about um, is actually the screenwriting. But you know, speaking before that, just really quick, 
Um, your film, Consensus Reality, you know, that was, was it 85 minutes or something like that? Is worth 86 minutes? Uh, I think it's a little bit under that right now. Yeah. I kept trimming it down a little bit. Yeah, so it's around 80-something minutes. I can't remember. Yeah, and uh, and we screened that at the film festival. But that was, you know, um, want to share with our listeners, they should go back and listen to episode 50, uh, 47 of our podcast where Steve speaks in detail about this, but you took a very complicated book and I know that you, you know, you, you basically rewrote that book into a screenplay format. What was the name of that book again? Uh, the name of the book is uh, memoirs of my nervous illness or memoir of my nervous illness by Daniel Paul Schraber It's written by a, uh, actually a, a person who was a man who was suffering from schizophrenia an Austrian man suffering from schizophrenia in like 18, the 1890s. I'm not exactly sure when, um, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's just writing down an account of his own experiences and he, of course, and, and you know, it's like a fantasy novel to a certain degree. However, he believes every single thing he writes inside of it. So uh, what I was doing more than anything is trying to take that, the metaphysics that is being built out of that worldview, out of this worldview of like you're hearing voices and you're believing things and you're having sort of uh, delusions and turn that into a story. And then, you know, just very kind of just throw you into the middle of it. And, you know, you're not getting an explanation or the audience is not getting an explanation for what's going on here. They're just kind of experiencing the same thing that somebody in that situation would be experiencing. And you had some, some actors, um, Garrett Richmond and Christina Toth and uh, let me see, Gopal Devan. Gopal Devan. Uh, uh, these are they were really good actors as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like one of the advantages of just casting at or shooting and casting in New York because none of them were, none of those three were in the screen even in the Screen Actors Guild at the time mm-hmm. because they're all very they're I mean. They're pretty young, not necessarily really young, but they're doing a lot of stage work and that means they're not in it. But, you know, they, you know, I put out a casting call and a bunch of tons of people, hundreds of people applied for many of the roles. And so, you know, you have a very deep pool to choose from and people who are very serious about the craft and willing to also go out there and film in pretty rough conditions because, you know, we don't have any trailers or anything like that. We're just parking somewhere on the street and shooting something. Yeah, no, and I was actually, you know, um, every time I've I've worked on a film, right? Um, and these are not Hollywood films or anything like that. I'm I'm not trying to upscale you <laughs> in any right. sense of the word, but I'm always surprised at the number of actors uh, that come to the casting calls, even some well-known actors. Right, 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 right. No, I mean, everybody wants to work. I mean, that's the way it is, especially like if you're in the area. So I think even if like, are you filming, are these films that you're making in around San Diego? Yeah. Or, yeah, because I think even San Diego, then you'll get people who are, you know, they're in Los Angeles. Uh, maybe they've been in television or they've been in some movies, but, you know, they're not working 100, they're not working 52 weeks a year. And if you're not working, you know, you want to go down and practice your craft, especially if you like the role or you think it's kind of an interesting story or something like that. A lot of people are willing to uh, take a chance. Um, I've also sort of some stuff. of the some of the the you know the the writers and directors have also uh, done some of the casting calls closer to um, L.A. Uh-huh. Uh, just so that they can attract audiences, you know, not audiences but uh, actors from right. both areas because we are literally so close to each other. There are many actors right. there that will work here, and there are many actors that live here um, that do a oh, lot commute of work to the LA. Right, right, right. Yep. And, uh, and some people are just used to it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Your, your film. I mean, right now we just have the trailer available at some point. You'll have it on something. Actually, no, I have it. I do have it online. I haven't announced it on Facebook yet, though. I have announced it on Twitter oh. and its own website. A consensus is reality. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon video on demand and it's available on Amazon prime. So you can rent it, buy it, or if you already have an Amazon prime account, you can watch it for free. So right. it's there. And, uh, well, you know, it's, Obviously not a big film. We don't have big advertising or something like that, but we've, you know, got like a review at least so far. And the person <laughs> seemed to like have the right reaction to it. So That's awesome. That is awesome. Cause you got one review and they got, and they gave you a good, yeah, that's, that's amazing. 
Um, We'll share the link here um, on the the notes for you. Of course, it's the least we could do for taking your time in the middle of writing that you're you're doing right now. Um, Is it okay that you can share a little bit about what you're doing right now? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. It's like, I mean, this is assignment work. So um, I write a few of these little television movies and stuff like that, or do rewrites or do a little bit of revisions and stuff. So oh, I'm working with a couple companies right now, and um, we'll see if anything ever happens with this stuff. I mean, usually these movies do get made, um, but uh, it's, I mean, they want to be able to announce them. So Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the entertainment industry, it's all based on... Um, there's a lot of uh, you, you can't talk about this yet. It's no, all, no, no. There's I mean, a lot well, I mean, of this, announcements. Right. Well, the companies are the ones that want to be in charge of that. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, that's uh, you know I've I've done I don't know how many panels type things uh, years now. I can't remember. Not like I've done seventeen or anything like that, but I just can't remember. So I'd rather not say. But every single time it's like you can't let anyone know that you're doing right. your your thing until you know and they're huge right. on that i mean huge they right. make the news if if somebody well it's true especially on the bigger films but even on the smaller films it's still like you know everybody has to like go on i mean uh small films still have their little distribution network that they got to work with so. yeah well and that kind of leads me into um this film that um that is on netflix right now which everybody can watch and i hope you do um i've watched it and i am personally a fan and the the cool thing about it is like well oh my god i know steve he was at our film festival he made a mobile film and that's uh pretty incredible um for me and i'm sure it will be to our listeners talk about your film assimilate yeah, so Assimilate is not a mobile film. We spent a lot more money on that one. It was right. nice. Uh, we flew out. I mean, this is nice because I had a, um, my co-writer, John Merlowski, was also the director and also producer on the film. And uh, I've been working with him for maybe 10 years or so. And so we had come up with his ideas. Or a lot of times I'll just run ideas past him and then we'll kind of work on stuff. And, you know, we've had a few ideas for move, for horror films and so forth. And we've never been able to get them off the ground. But we finally oh, – uh, hooked up with uh, somebody that John knows, this oh, a guy, Bill Fay, who had been a producer on huge movies. He'd been uh, like on 300 and uh, wow. The Patriot with uh, Mel Gibson and all this really? kind of stuff. Back with, with yeah, he was working Ledger? for a big studio. He was, uh, not Heath Ledger. I don't think he worked with Heath Ledger. He worked with... Um, I saw The uh, Patriot. The Patriot with Mel oh, Gibson. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Heath Ledger was in that, wasn't yeah. he? I was thinking more about Mel Gibson, but yeah, Heath Ledger plays a younger guy. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, no, but he'd been on, I think he'd been on a Superman movie, too, some other mm-hmm. stuff. So, anyway, uh, he had worked with, um, uh, he, he, he had worked with Legendary or Warner Brothers, whatever the company was behind it, for a long time. And then uh, he retired from them, and he started up his own little production company. And so we were one of the – I think we were the second movie he, he made out of that little production company. And he – you know, I mean it's, even with somebody like him who's able to go in and talk to financiers and so forth because of his uh, pedigree, uh, it still takes a while to set anything up. Right, because it's a big gamble when we make a small film. But nonetheless, got the money for it. And then we went down to Mississippi and spent a month there and shot it. And that was it was fun because you know you're like you're there, kind of immersed in the filmmaking itself because you're on location. You're basically working six days a week. Well, I think we were only working five days a week, maybe. But anyway, you're working you know, long hours and you're uh, surrounded by the other people who are also working on the film. So you're just kind of living that life for a little while. How many weeks did you do the production? Uh, I think we did four weeks of production, maybe a little bit more. I mean, I don't know if we ran out of some days. I know, like, I can remember, like, uh, we were originally planning to shoot some stuff over a course of two days, but then it was going to rain, and it was these big outdoor scenes. So we, uh, and we had a big bonfire in this big outdoor scene, and we said, okay, well, you know, when it starts raining really hard, that's going to go away, and then our movie's going to be ruined. So we got to shoot this stuff really fast tonight and then get it done with. And so we just oh, well, went gangbusters on that. Wow, and I know which scene you're talking about. There's a lot of people in that scene. That's Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Not... Actually, that was one really nice thing because so I mean, for these move for uh, a bigger movie like that, usually you go out of state, you go to some place that has a tax credit of some sort so that the production can get some money back. But also a big advantage is like when we went to this uh, this town that's like called Kosciuszko, Mississippi. <laughs> and they have said, "Okay, we'll let you use our town square to film this scene." 
And, you know, they gave it to us for free. Nice. They just said, oh, they're happy to have a film crew there because it's not like, you know, it's not like Los Angeles where everybody's like tired of seeing movie crews around and they want they, they want you to pay. And no, they were really ex- excited to be there. And then they also put out a some sort of call where where everybody from around the crunky side was able to come in and they could be an extra. And just oh, uh, the crew was there or the uh, accounting was there and giving cutting them all checks at the end of the day as long as they just walked around. And, you know, kind of like followed orders a little bit, you know, you kind of give them I think what we do is you give them a a bit of a wardrobe suggestion. So they'll show up and look kind of appropriate for the scene that we're shooting. But then it's like a whole bunch of people showed up. And one of the other things is like because we had this um, one of our actors is um, the guy playing. Randy is Caleb Worthy, and he had been in Austin and Alley, which is a very successful, I think, Disney Channel show. Yeah. Anyway, so he had a he had a lot of fans, and they would always be asking him for uh, autographs. And after he shot that day, and he was actually done a little bit earlier, there must have been like a hundred families there with their kids that signed up, and he went over there and he took selfies with all of them. So Aww. he was like a real trooper, right? Yeah, that you you had a a young for the most part you had a young audience. Right. I mean and it, and then you had like the guy that plays the sheriff, he also I mean, he's older now, but he um he was one of the young stars back in the, you know, um the Paul Walker days as I call it, you know. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, he was quite good. He was like yeah. a, um especially when we uh, brought him on set because he had a little bit more experience. And, you know, we, our our main cast is these three actors who are playing playing in their teens. But, you know, they're all very young actors. I mean, even, they, even though they had a lot of experience, right? So, uh, Caleb had been on a TV show for a while. And then um, Joel had been, of course, in uh, Super 8, which is a, you know, big movie back in the days. Yeah. And then Andy Matichak hadn't actually been in very much at all. I, don't know, I think she'd been in like a couple small roles. Oh, uh, now, though, she's in Halloween and Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 coming up. So she really, <laughs> I mean, we, like, we, we really got lucky with her because now she's like famous and helping drive our film. But nice. um, anyway, that's, so always, all that's always good because then people always look back to just a film that right. they did before they really right. hit it big. Well, she was great. I mean, it was great. It was like seeing, it's great seeing all of them working together because it would be very professional. We'd be talking about the scene coming up. and But also when we had – and, oh, man, I'm, I feel terrible. I can't remember the name of the uh, the actor who played – actually, he's a deputy. Oh, I'm bad. Oh, uh, Cam – I'm looking at him right yeah. now. Cam I, – I, I don't know how to pronounce – I'm just going to hack his name. I'm so sorry if he happens to listen to this. Cam – Gig Gigadent? Oh, Gigadent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, oh, uh, I, I don't know if I remember, but oh, well, one of the things I liked about him is he has this very loose acting style. And so he would be more willing to sit there and kind of, I mean, you hear it. I'm not an actor, but you'll hear actors say that acting is reacting. And mm-hmm. he'd be very much in the scene. And so when he'd be feeding off the, uh, the our uh, young actors, and our young actors are very professional, but they'd be going inside there and they're very, you know, they're sticking to the script and they're, oh, um, and, 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 you know, they, they like the parts and they get the, and they're doing a great job with it. But then when they were acting opposite him, you could just see them loosen up. <laughs> and it says, and that's because his experience, right? Cause he's been around maybe about 10 years longer doing it. And it's also older, right? I think you just, I mean, that's just a little bit of age. And so, oh, um, and then later on you get to see the well, younger actors would also like, oh, okay, well, look, I can be, I can be a little bit more wild or a little bit more experimental in these oh, takes. And so he, I, I think that was an advantage about having, oh, well, bringing Cam in and, you know, I like every scene he was in. So that was great too. That's amazing. Um, yeah, the the acting on this on this film, I'm always, you know, I think the acting is a big part of of the storytelling because um, you can have a great story, and if you don't have good actors to play those characters, right? Um, right. Yeah, it can really hurt. Um, but let's talk about. Um, Unless you have some really cool inside stories, let's talk about the uh, the screen uh, writing part of this for our listeners, um, so that they can um, exercise their right to write. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. Um, 
what would your advice be for um, for mobile filmmakers? Um, I mean, and I know we we try to inspire just anybody. You know, like you saw in our film festival, we had people that were older. Uh, right. You know, uh, in in their seventies and and such, and then you have younger people who are in their teens and everybody in between. And then there's people who are professionals, semi-professionals, you know. Um, and then you have people that have never, this was their first film. But um, even if you're, even if you're making a short film, um, uh, but at least for a feature film, um, what would your advice be on writing? Well, one thing I, I guess, like well, one lesson I've learned the hard way is know your ending before you start and that I'd be, I get my, I'd get enamored with, uh, I'd have like this really cool first act with lots of like interesting questions and then interesting twists. And I'd actually be able to carry it up through the second act, but I wouldn't know how to end it. Right. And so then the screenplay, then I'll figure out some sort of like half ask ending and it's like, all right, no, it never works. And so I've still got like one or two screenplays that I, you know, I really like 60 pages of it, but you, 60 pages in a movie. So there you go, right? Uh, so now it's like, okay, I make sure I have an ending before I go in. I think uh, probably, I mean, it's also a little bit different. I think if you're doing, if you're planning for a mobile film, then you probably know that you're going to shoot it and you know that you're going to be able to shoot it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously part of the writing there would just be like, okay, well, what resources do I have? Because I'm going to write my story building those sorts of resources. If you're living in an area with a nice forest, if you're living in, you know, New Jersey and the, you're next to the Pine Barrens and you shoot, um, the, the Blair Witch project, right? I mean, that's like what they had available to them. And then if you can use, so you want to use the assets you have, and it's also sort of worthwhile sometimes to have those constraints on you because that's where you learn how to be experimental. But also I think there's like, um, a lot of times if you're just a writer and you're writing a screenplay on spec and you're hoping somebody else will make it, well, who knows if it'll get made. But if you are doing a mobile film, well, it's probably going to get made, right? It's all up to you, right? So that means that uh, you're going to need to take everything a lot more seriously. And that's going to be a lot of rewriting, um, a lot of thinking about structure, like uh, what's the overall plot? How do you keep it moving? How do you sustain interest? And that's largely based on structure. I mean, obviously, you're, well, people will enjoy the dialogue and they enjoy the characterization. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just like when you're reading a mystery novel or a thriller novel and you want people to turn the next page. How do you keep them doing that in the version of the movie? And it's about one page per minute, right, for the most part? Yeah, yeah, for a screenplay. So, yeah, and I think also probably for a mobile film, you want to be a little bit shorter. So, you know, like 80 to 100 pages, because I think that's about a good time. time yeah. for you. Obviously, you're not going to be making these 120 minute, uh, you know, epics. I mean, you could, obviously, because uh, you don't have you're not spending the same amount of money per day as a big production. But, you know, it starts to get most of the smaller films, the smaller independent films I've seen have been kind of a, a little bit on the shorter side. Yeah, um, we were. um it's one of the one of the what should I say some of the advice that some mobile films um, filmmakers got in our uh, film festival before this one in 2018 was that um, for distribution they like 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it depends on the kind of film you do. I think. I mean, you look at say something like I think Primer's like 76 minutes. Yeah. So that was kind of like my lower lower bound for it. 90 minutes is good for distribution in that it could go onto a TV channel, but it feels to me like how many of these mobile films are going to be shown on, you know, foreign television. Exactly. Right. I mean, also, I mean, the kind of film that you're going to have, I mean, going back again to, uh, uh, the IMFF that we just went to, yeah. or, or that you just hosted, um, you look at Ross's film, which is, you know, really a gritty, dark thriller. You know, yeah. that's not showing on TV anyway. Right. <laughs> right. But you want it to be something that's going to stand out and be and kind of like, you know, leave an impression. So I think that's right. And and since it's not going to be showing on TV, it would you just want it to be long enough that Netflix would take it seriously or long enough that say, well, I mean, Amazon's actually very friendly for uh, for uh, putting stuff on it and that you can kind of do that yourself. Um as long as you jump through the right hoops. 
But uh, yeah, so you just want something that's going to stand out. And I wouldn't worry too much about like, oh, trying to hit 90 minutes. Exactly. Unless you have a movie that's going to fit very well into a model, like, say, for instance, a female in Jeopardy thriller or the kind of like Hallmark Christmas movie or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think the way things are happening right now and they've been happening and changing and transforming for a number of years now, um, television really is, you know, the Netflix and the, the online streaming of, right. you know, for films. I mean, it's just what it is, right? What can, right. you know, it's, it's progress and we like progress. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, one of the best, I don't know about you, I'm on LinkedIn and the first thing that I get, um, is people saying, I've got a screenplay I wrote. Uh, now what, what do I do with it? How can I get someone to make it for me? You know, what would your advice be for that? If you don't, if you haven't, uh, probably the best advice for a starting screenwriter is the nickel fellowship. That's N I C H O L L. I think it's Q L. So I'm not sure if it's one L. So yeah, the nickel fellowship is put up by the same company or the Academy, which does the Academy awards. And if you do well in that, You'll get managers, you'll get agents, you'll get people getting interested in your movie. And um, other than that, um, there's, I mean, that contest is head and shoulders above every single other contest. And after you make a couple sales or if you make a little bit too much money, you're no longer eligible for it. (laughs) So do it while you're a young writer, right? (laughs) Because you want to take advantage of that. After that, what you do is you send query letters. And that's all I knew how to do. And it's, you know, it's not a good way to do it, but it's, there's no other option. When you, when you send those letters, um, well, so when I was studying this stuff, uh, I remember the instructor saying, if you make one single typo, if you, on your formatting of your screenplay, if, if it's one little bit this way or that way, if you don't use the same font, the, you know, the correct font, all this stuff, um, you you just lost um, your opportunity because they won't even read it past that. I think things have changed, though, a little bit, haven't they? Well, I mean, I would think like probably – I mean, if you look at, say, like Tarantino's screenplays, there's some um, kind of questionable typos inside <laughs> them, right? So – but, you know, nobody cares, right? right? I, I think probably typos would be – like it depends on how bad it is, how egregious it is. Also, there are the typos that look like typos and the typos that look like you don't know the difference between there well, and there. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? but, you, so, but you can tell those apart for the most part, yeah. Right. But I think also as far as the formatting goes, the formatting would have been more of an issue, say, 20 years ago when you – we're typing it up on a, on a typewriter or something like yep. that. Uh, but now there's enough software out there. I mean, oh, um, there's Final Draft, which costs a little bit of money. Fade In, which costs less money. Uh, there's some free versions of the software. And the, you can just let the software do the formatting for you. And then you just don't worry about it. Don't touch it. Use whatever they're using. And there is a sense that when a reader reads a screenplay, they want it to look like a screenplay. If it doesn't look like a screenplay, then you're going to get a negative reaction right away yeah. and that means you know slug lines can be in the right length so uh not a whole not huge giant blocks of text not huge giant well i mean you can have a few i think long monologues but you know just kind of short brief descriptions and very sort of a uh, writing that keeps you moving through the script and the descriptions by the way you know like setting up the scenes and things like that some people right. uh turn it into a book yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. I mean, uh, I, I think sometimes I'll be a little bit forgiving of that, but and, and you sit there. I mean, the best thing to do always is just to go out and read some screenplays from. I think recent movies. Yeah. Don't read. I mean, because you'll, if you're an aspiring screenwriter, you probably read a, a, a Goldman's book, which is the first one. It was Adventures in the Screen Trade. Hmm. And I mean, actually, uh, he has. I think he has a whole copy, or at least part of the copy of. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid at the end of the book so you can see what a screenplay looks like. And it still reads pretty modern because it's very lean. But nonetheless, I think, uh, you know, looking at a, a screenplay from the 1970s isn't necessarily going to show you how people expect or what people expect from a screenplay nowadays. Yeah, I think in form of um, 
uh, structure for filmmaking and and character development and things like that, those are good. Um, but yeah, I think for formatting, you're probably right. Um, and also, you know, the the whole thing of, I mean, do you still mail in a, a screenplay? No, no, it's all PDF now. That's what I thought. Actually, when I, I mean, I get to start. I started fairly late, so. Uh... But like maybe 14 years ago, up to about 12 years ago, yeah, you were still mailing stuff. Yeah. And then you see the transition says all the iPads came out. <laughs> nobody wants it. No, every, nobody wants a script. Everybody wants a PDF. No. Well, yeah. I mean, I would. I mean, well, I'm always thinking about you know, paper. I don't. I don't like printing so much myself. I just. Um, I think that's kind of wasteful but that doesn't the mean the producers it's... have to carry them or their assistants do, gosh right? yeah like, like, <laughs> i mean we're talking about i mean in my mentality in a way i am kind of a minimalist minimalist in a lot of things but you know we're talking about you know the old days when they used to have to um send reels you know for film festivals you right, know? Right, right, right. um and nowadays i'm like you know i i think with your you know with your film Depending on the size of the um, of the file, you know, it's right. like uh, bring a USB just in case, or send it in, you know, right. just in case I'll ask for that. But if I can download it, I'll download it, you know. Right. Um, and that's so much easier. I mean, filmmakers nowadays have it so easy compared to you know even, gosh, even eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think even so. I mean, just because yeah. also because uh, data transmission, it's like okay, you know. Like you said, eight years ago, transmitting a few gigabytes would be like, all right, this is like, okay, I have to do that overnight. Now it's like, all right, a few, eight, you know, I mean, an actual movies, I mean, Vimeo sort of like, okay, most of your movies on there, maybe like less than five gigabytes. And, you know, you can download that in yeah. minutes. Yeah. And, and the other thing is like now even submitting films, you know, with platforms like the one that we use, got it, going to have to give them a shout out here to uh, Film Freeway. Right, right, right. Because um, they make it easy for, you know, I every year, you know, um, some filmmakers say, well, here, I grab it from Dropbox or something. I'm like, no, no, right. no, no, no. Um, also, the understanding is that our judges, you know, right. uh, the judging panel, they watch and rate the films on Film Freeway, not, right. you know, all over the the internet <laughs> yeah yeah i think it also gives it allows it to be a lot more systematic and more organized yeah. and structured and stuff so i think that's kind of stuff yeah really and you you do want that you you do want yeah. everything as structured as possible especially you know as the years go by you know that you want to be able to look back at the different you know different films and um that you've had and the history of it um when um, when you're writing films now, what it comes down to is like you were talking about with your film Assimilate and your your co-writer, um, uh, John Murlowski. Um, would you recommend to uh, a lot of writers? I mean, how how do you partner up with directors like that and writers and other writers so that you can? Uh, Get to know people in the business. Uh, well, for instance, for John Malowski, he had read. I basically queried him, and he read a uh, another horror film I wrote ways back, and we tried to get and we tried to get that made, but that, we couldn't get that one set up. But then he needed somebody to write another screenplay. He was oh, um, had to like, like turn into a movie, and he was busy with something else. So he just said, "Okay, do you want to do it?" And then after that, I just kept writing stuff for him. So. I mean, that's a lot of what it is. I think particularly in this business is like you work with them and then the people that like you or the people that like what you're doing just work with you over and over and over again. So I think it has a lot to do with other people. Right. I Sorry. think it has to. Well, no, I was going to say it has to do with your integrity as a person too. that. They would trust right. you, you know, not right, just right, right. not just like you because you tell good jokes type thing. Right. Right, right. No, no, no. It's, I mean, but it's also it's about like the the script, right? They have yeah. to like enjoy, like, all right. I think you're a good writer. That's why I'm going to keep hiring you or trying to work with you. But also, I mean, then they'll hook you up with uh, other people. So, you know, via John, I uh, um, uh, he works a lot with a line producer, uh, this guy Tom Shell, and Tom Shell has gone on to produce his own films and direct his own films. So I did some writing for him, and we haven't gotten that movie set up, but you know, hopefully sometime. And that, but then Tom Shell. 
alum hooked me up with somebody else, this guy, uh, Adisa. And mm-hmm. Adisa had a screenplay, and he wanted, a, he wanted a rewrite on it. So I went and talked with him, and then I did a rewrite on it. And then, you know, we liked working together, and we still trying to get that set up. As a matter of fact, we're setting that one out again. But, you know, after I had done that, a little while later, he comes up and he says, okay, look, we let's try doing another screenplay. We'll just start from scratch. And that movie turned into Skin in the Game, which has been you know, a produced and released. And you know, uh, he's showing it at a bunch of different festivals around. So that was a, um, that, that, that's just kind of this sort of, you know, building your network because people who like you or people who like working with you help you work with other people. Right. Yeah. And um, you just don't know who you're going to meet no. and when you just have to keep keep your hopes up and and make sure you don't miss out on too much right i mean i think there's like a lot of warnings don't do say free writing and stuff like that but i think there's a lot of value in working with people especially as a writer because unless you're a producer as well or unless you're doing the directing and so so forth yourself it's really again it's a lot easier to get a movie made when you even if you're not working with a famous director right it's like oh okay so now you got your writer and your director and the director's an interesting person and they know how to do it or you're working with a producer and then they're helping you set it up it's better just having a team and then also i think it may be for other people who are involved feels like okay look they've already this this Screenplay isn't just coming in naked. It's already been vetted to a certain degree. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, what about now? Let's, let me just try and wrap this up. I'm really trying not to take up too much of your time, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I think we both could just sit here and like talk, uh, talk your uh, listeners to, uh, in, in, into a coma. <laughs> well, no, I actually believe they're getting their, their – this is really, really interesting for them. Um, when it comes to the title of their film, and then uh, one last thing is how to secure, you know, who you're going to share uh, your screenplay with. I share it with everybody. I mean, you know, <laughs> I do not worry about people stealing your idea. I think I can't remember what the quote is, but don't worry about somebody stealing your idea. If it's any good, you'll have to jam it down their throat. <laughs> it's true, right? It's like, all right. <laughs> You know, I mean, for one thing, there's so many ideas out there. I guarantee you that somebody already had it, unless your idea is really just insane and bonkers. And so it's like, and, I, and insane and bonkers get a point where it's like unfilmable, right? So it's like, uh, yeah, I just oh, um, go to as many people as possible because, we, I mean, it's just like you're trying to throw as many hooks in the water as possible, right? Yep. Uh, you know, um, I guess what for titles, I don't know if I'm even that great at titles. <laughs> So, well, how do and you... also, you know, our titles are, there's also a little bit of like, all right, your title is only a working title until it turns into a movie. And then it will probably change a couple of times after that. So don't worry too much about it. That's, that's definitely true. When you write a script, um, you kind of marry your story though. But um, how many times does a, does a screenplay change between the time it's written till the time it's produced and even during production, do you say? Uh, let me see here. Um, for instance, on Assimilate, we wrote that we, we wrote it, or I wrote a draft, and then, uh, John wrote a draft, and then we went back and forth for a little while, and we finally got it to where we liked it. Then we took it to the producer, Bill Fay, and then he uh, liked it. I don't think he had any notes for us right away, but he took it to some people he knew, the first people he was going to try to set it up with, and then they had some notes, so we did some more development on it. And then um, we, they, we weren't able to get it set up with them, but... Oh, uh, thank you. Bounced it around and got it back over to this other company. And then once we found out it was going to happen, once we started thinking like, oh, okay, we were about six months away and it looked like a financing was going to come into place. We said, oh, wait a minute. This movie's going to be real. It's not just like something on a piece of paper. <laughs> then John and I just sat there like, you know, day by day, we went through every single page, every single scene. And we said, is there a way to make this better? So we got like, I mean, you know, especially like, okay, now you're spending real money on a movie. And so it's like, and it's in a movie that has the possibility to do something. So, you know, we try to just come up with some, I mean, some scenes, I mean, even I think once we got to set, we didn't very, make very many changes on that one. When we were on location, we added this one scene early on where, um, Joel and Andy have a conversation via Skype and it's like a, just a little heartfelt sort of conversation. Oh, yeah. 
And that turned out really well. We said, okay, we let's let's give them another character beat because we don't really see them being kind of just together talking to each other. So we we added that, and that worked out pretty well. But other than that, we pretty much just shot the script. Now that's not always always the case. You know, I've been on some movies where oh um you're rewriting stuff for tomorrow or today, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just. Uh, it's just a crazy, crazy sort of situation. But usually that's because there's been some trouble in it. And usually that's when uh, these movies I've been brought in to do rewrites on. I'm not usually uh, – most of my stuff winds up being pretty close to what we write originally. Yeah, I, I was a script supervisor in, in a few films. And I can tell you right now sometimes things change and you're like, when did this change? Because you got to let your script supervisor know. <laughs> right. And when? they'll tell you, like, it changed this morning. Yeah, literally. Right. Or last right. last night after everybody exactly. went home, we kind of sat around and drank some beers and changed, you know. Right, so right, now, right, right. you know, yeah. Um, and those are kind of important things. But, yeah, it, it, it does happen. So, you know, I uh, just wanted to let our, our listeners know if you're writing screenplays that don't get angry, don't get too attached because things right. do happen um, on that. And, you know, when you when you're giving your script, you know, like, let's say you're not part of your production, when you sell your script, uh-huh. you know, you have no saying on that, right? No, no, no. I mean, you sell your like, who was it? Like, uh, I can't, again, it's like all these quotes. That I can't remember who said it. You sell your script like you sell a car. They yeah. decide to drive it off a cliff. That's up to them. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So. Yeah, 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 no, it's it's out of your hands. I mean, I've been lucky enough, and you know, like if you work with John Merlowski, I think maybe it's maybe a little bit more the case on these smaller productions because yeah. they're a little bit more kind of like a family to a certain degree. Is that you know always invite me out to set, and it's like always being a little bit more involved and in talking with them. But again, that's like just because, as I think it would probably be also true in larger films if it was just a situation where oh okay you because. Oftentimes, the writer has a pretty good relationship with the producers. You've been working with the producers for years trying to get this movie made, right? Yeah. And well, if the producers, all, if the director is also one of those guys that you've been working with for years, then okay, you're all going to get along, right? Sometimes it might be a little bit different if the producers have brought in the director at the last minute and he's making some changes and he doesn't want you around or something along those lines. I don't know what the budget was for this film because you guys had special effects on this film. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, uh, yeah, I think we were looking about what two million. Yeah, that's still low uh-huh. budget. Yeah, that's pretty low budget. I mean, for like like a like a Hollywood film. Yeah. Want, and it's like a little bit. I mean, it's not. It used to be. It's a pretty solid budget, or was a solid budget for a horror film for a while. Yeah. Nowadays, you're kind of seeing those movies. You're seeing horror films nowadays that are kind of like they're either made for under five hundred thousand or made for over five million. That's but so for a long time, two million was, you know, I mean, Halloween was like seven hundred fifty thousand. Of course, that was like nineteen seventies money, but uh-huh. still, nonetheless, uh, you know, John Carpenter's there making that movie for a small amount of cash. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. Wow. Well, hey, um, do you have any anything else you'd like to share with anyone? This is this is your time. This is your red carpet moment. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. I, I haven't prepared at all. I would say like this, like the. The most, the coolest thing I ever saw. I'm not too sure. It's like this would be a uh, this, this would be a spoiler alert. So maybe if like I don't know if you can hide anything, man. Get spoiler alert. There's this one scene inside there where we flip the trailer. We roll oh. a trailer. I've okay. Listen, I've never seen. I meant to. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't want to tell people exactly much more because it would be a spoiler alert. But let right. me just say. That I have never, right? Well, I was watching this. I literally, I don't normally talk out loud when I'm watching a film by myself. But I literally said, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this before. Well, I think part of it, I mean, I think part of the reason why is because we're a little bit lower budget than you would see on, like, a normal film. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen, like, all stuff in it. But, oh, um, so the way we had to make it was we have, like, this real trailer. Yeah. And we go and we shoot in it. And then our production designer goes and makes a replicate oh. of, the, of the trailer on a soundstage. Actually, on a, I think it's like this big go up. I think it might have, I think they, they have sound stages there, but I think they use a to huge be washing tanks, machine. Right? No, no. It's <laughs> oh, just no. a box. It's wow. just a box lying on the floor made out of like a plywood. 
right? Mm. And it's all reinforced and solid. Then they paint the inside to make it look like the inside of the other thing. Put in some windows. Put in some furniture. All the furniture has all the insides taken out so the furniture is as light as possible. Then we put a forklift under one side of the uh, box. Lift it up. <laughs> and you just lift it up far enough. And then all of a sudden, you know, it kind of over tilts. And then all the stuff just goes rocketing off the walls and off the floor, right? Uh. And, it you know, we so have, like, good. every camera that we owned, all the GoPros, everything <laughs> set up to take a, to, to take films about this. And, you know, so it's like it's a practical effect. It's not a special effect. We're not on, a, we're not on this giant rocker arm or something like that. Right. So that's why everything just all of a sudden slams over. And then it makes it look really authentic. And I, and because I was there on when they when we actually shot that and the noise it made and everything kind of doing it. And we had our stump people inside there and they're all being really brave because <laughs> they're inside this box with all this stuff that's going to go flying around. Right. But wow. man, that, yeah, that was, I mean, I don't know, seeing it on screen, it's like hard to tell because I'm always comparing it to seeing it in real life. Right. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, uh, that's, that's the other thing. If you can get yourself to work on a, on a film set, even if it's for free, just do it because right. you learn so many things. And then there are things like this that, I mean, you may hear about it on something like this, you know, on a podcast or, you know, when people are talking about, you know, behind the scenes stuff. But you, you just, I mean, you get to witness some of the most epic, amazing things. I know uh, I was working uh, on a film and we, it was, uh, they were shooting uh, cannonballs, you know, like during the Civil War. Okay. And uh -huh. the guys that were doing those, you know, those effects, they said, you know, they had worked at Pirates of the Caribbean and things like that. And they said, um, I was hanging out with them while they were preparing some things. And I said, what exactly are you using for that? You know, for the inside of the cannonball, you know, because they're not uh -huh. real cannonballs exploding. Right. And for the stuff that, that would come out. And they said that actually there were uh, burnt bones uh left over from pet cemeteries you know when they they burn uh, oh wow yeah for the ceremony oh, i don't know what do, what do you call that I've, I've, oh, i guess the <laughs> cremation right the cremation that's right. right um you know what's left over they 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 got some of those and they said that those are what they typically use in a lot of films because it gives that best representation of what it would look like to have right. cannonballs exploding. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is fascinating. And they really do. They sit there and they come up with all these weird little ways, little, little fixes to make things look the way they, they want them to look. Yeah. But that's not something you add into your screenplay while you're writing it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you just write something and then hope it turns out well. Yeah, exactly. You let the director and their crew uh, right, right. Figure out, and this is like, stuff. I mean, a lot of times it's like, this is like, well, you know, movies a team effort. It's yeah. Production designers going inside it. That's the person who's same person who's sitting there deciding what this basket will, or the uh, well, laundry basket that the uh, lady, the uh, dead lady is going to be in. Oh, it looks like right. Yeah, is <laughs> building a building a building a mock up of the trailer. Yeah, it's. I mean, they don't call it movie magic. I mean, because it is. I mean, right. basically, it's all a bunch of tricks. It's all it's right. it's total fake. Um, but the, the whole point of it is, is that you're so absorbed by the story. You're captivated by, right. you know, by everything. And the sound has a lot to do with it. Oh, and yeah. in the end, uh, it's, it's about the, the entire effect of everything coming together that everybody put together for you. Right. Kind of like um, that Thanksgiving dinner that most of us are going to have, right? It's true. That's right. <laughs> um, well... Um, for all our listeners, thanks for listening to the SBP podcast. Thank you for um, listening to uh, Steve. And Steve, thank you for being on the show. Short notice. Oh, thank you, Susan. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody.